The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. God, as I prayed last week, I pray again, we do not need more of me. We don't need more of us. We need more of you. And we pray that you would help us to think well about how we disagree. We pray that we would have our hearts humble and open to look and see places where we've done this well and be encouraged by that and places maybe where we haven't done this well and be willing to make the changes that we need in our lives to do this right. I pray that you'd bless our time together. Amen. All right, let me get my stopwatch going. There we go. All right. Hey, so... um, I went to a church, I just want to tell you this little story. I went to a church several years ago, many years ago, where one of the pastors had a disagreement with one of the other pastors. And it got so bad that they didn't talk to each other for a year. Can you imagine doing ministry where two people don't talk to each other for a year? They wouldn't have dinner together, they wouldn't have lunch together. They simply wouldn't do life together. And I can't even imagine trying to preach. How do they preach when they recognize that they've got this disunity, even within their own body? And I think that's a fascinating kind of uh, tale. But if we all think, we, we probably have these moments in our own life, right, where, where there's a disagreement that's not small, that is significant. And, and God cares deeply about how we disagree. Uh, he's not surprised we do disagree, but he cares deeply about how we do disagree. And, and here's what happened in the, in the story that, uh, that, I, that the church that I was a part of. Um, the two pastors actually stood up one day in front of everyone up on the stage and they just said, we're not doing well. We're really struggling with agreement. And here has been the outcome of this. We aren't talking to each other and, and we're not okay with that. And so they did two things. They, they asked for the church to pray for them And they invited specific people into their lives to say, can you help us navigate this disagreement? Can you help us point out the blind spots we have in our own heart that has brought us to a year's worth of disagreement where we don't even talk? And let me ask you this. If you were part of that church, how would you think that Sunday went? There was a couple people I had a chance. This was before I actually attended there. But there was a couple people I talked to. And they said, that Sunday was the Sunday I said, I want to be a part of this church. And the reality was not because there was so much kumbaya going on, but because they were honest about the reality of their disagreement. And I found that to be just a fascinating tale. And they've done ministry now for years together, and they often stand up and share that story to make it incredibly real about what disagreement feels like. And maybe you're here, and, and, and I thought about this for a little while. I thought, man, what are the different types of ways we respond to disagreement? Um, maybe you're that type of person that says, man, if, if there's a disagreement, what I do is I just fill my bag full of facts and figures, right? And I back that dump truck up on the person, and I just let him have it right? The gift that keeps on giving, right? I'm going to prove my point. And typically the person eventually just gives up, right? That's just the reality of that. Or maybe you're the person that, that loves to just get into that debate, right? And you wear the other person down just by sheer determination. Or maybe it's a little worse. Maybe you're the person that uses threats. Maybe you're the person that uses power to try to get your way. Or maybe, maybe you're someone that goes, I'm not on that list, Josh. I'm the person that just runs away from it, right? I'm a good hider. My carpet, I sweep so much stuff under the rug, 
of my heart. Or maybe you're the person that kind of does the tactical retreat, spends a couple weeks thinking, building your plan, and then that surprise attack happens right when you're ready. Or maybe the person I do this sometimes, you walk out of the room after some sort of interaction that's a disagreement and you think, ah, there was the perfect comeback. (laughs) And you don't know how to figure out how to build that back into a conversation later. (laughs) And it just frustrates you. And it was, I mean, it was glorious. And we think about that. Um, Well, God cares deeply about how we disagree. There's actually a, a large number of sections of scripture that's dedicated to this concept of unity. And we talked about this a lot last week, but I wanna make this really practical this week. And, and, and when we talk about disagreement, if you are a rule, where's my rule followers? Where's my, where's my box checkers? Yeah, I'm gonna disappoint you today, just to let you know. Uh, because I'm not gonna give you this path to disagree, of, of disagreement about how you do it. Can you just give me the check boxes? I just wanna go through that. Um, you're gonna have to have something that's a little harder. You're gonna have to have the principles of God's word and you're also gonna have to rely on God's wisdom to guide you. So just be prepared for disagreement um, and disappointment there. I apologize in advance, but if you want a check box, this is not the place for that. Um, so I want you to turn um, with me to, to a section of scripture, Philippians 2, 1 through 7. It should be on the screen behind me. But before we turn there, if you're new to church, I always like to kind of give you some, some context here. If you're, if you're new and you're like, Philippians, that seems like a made-up word, or you're saying uh, Philadelphia wrong, right? It's something in that space of Philippians. So here's, here's what's going on. Uh, I'm going to give you a 30-second overview on this. This is just a letter. So this is a letter written by a guy named Paul. Maybe you've heard of Paul. Paul's a missionary. He went all over the known world, typically around the Mediterranean Sea, and, and he preached God's word and planted churches. And this is one of the letters that he is writing back to a church that he had recently started and had left. Um, he planted it, set up leadership there, and then he went on to the next place. He's writing it actually from prison um, because he finally got caught doing what he was doing, which is sharing God's word. And wherever he was, they didn't like that. And they were simply going to imprison him to stop that. So he's writing this letter back to Philippians, these Philippians. And they're actually part of a city called Philippi. And Philippi is actually located right on that Turkish-Greece border area. Um, and it would have been an incredibly important city of its time. It was, re- it was on this route for um, trade between the Roman Empire at that time. It was a port city. It was incredibly wealthy. They had recently discovered gold in the hills, so they had lots of money. Um, and they also had theater. They were one of the few places that built a large theater. Uh, I kept thinking about it. I kept thinking, man, this sounds like LA, right? We've got Long Beach, we've got Hollywood. So this was the Hollywood of its time. It would have been ethnically diverse. Uh, It would have been culturally diverse. It would have been uh, religiously diverse. There would have been a lot going on there. And so Paul writes this letter back. And the first chapter of Philippians, he actually begins with just reminding them of what we talked about last week, which is the gospel is the center of all that you are doing as you build out this small little church. They were a startup church, just like us. They were in an ethnically diverse area, just like us. They were in a culturally diverse area, just like us. They had affluence like LA has. And so this was the letter to them. And so here, let's read this together. So Philippians 2, verses 1 through 7. And you get bonus points if you can find where unity and disagreement is. So get ready for that. So Philippians 2, 1 through 7. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, 
maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard himself, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. So in this section, Paul breaks down a number of things and he starts at the same place we started last week, which is the gospel is the center of this. And here's what I want to talk about. So the gospels are personal encouragement. Paul says that if we've experienced the impact of the gospel, he uses the word encouragement in Christ, consolation of love. He's simply breaking this down and saying, have you experienced Christ? Have you personally seen and experienced him in your life? If you have, here is the motivation. Here's what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to unity. We talked about this last time. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is simply just rallying to the ideal of the gospel, placing that at the center. And look what he says here in the verse. He looks, look at the motivation. He says that there's an encouragement, love, fellowship with God, if there's affection, have you experienced God, then pursue unity. And here's what's interesting. Unity requires active attention. In one of the verses, Paul says this. He uses the word being. He uses the word maintaining. He uses the word united and intent. Those are all action words, which means that unity left to itself will ultimately deteriorate over time. I think we've experienced that in our life. We certainly don't treat our cars this way. When something begins to fall apart, we recognize that maintenance is part of that. And so he encourages them to be, maintain this, to be united and intent. And certainly he cares deeply about how disagreement happens. Paul mentions five things shortly thereafter, and this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at this idea of how do we navigate disagreement and avoid sinful disagreement. I think last time we talked about this, is if, if we're disagreeing and we're sinning, we're not doing God's will in the midst of our disagreement. So my goal is very practical. We're going to get through five of these things. The first one we're going to look at is very brief, it's a look at a little bit of last week, um, but this is the first one. In our disagreements, feed yourself and others the gospel. Here's what's amazing. Paul does the very thing at the end of his letter. Here's what he says. See, there's, there's, at the end of his letter in Philippians, we're not going to get to, there's two women in the church that are actually having a significant and probably very public disagreement. Their names are Yodia and Syntyche. Any Yodias and Syntyches here? I'd be surprised. It'd be spectacular. But he says this, I urge Yodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companions, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. See what he does there? He reminds them, remember what we're pushing for. The gospel's at the center. Whatever this disagreement is, Remember to put the gospel back in the middle. And so here even Paul, he wisely doesn't choose sides. He doesn't say, Syntyche, I'm with you, right? How do we beat Yodia? She's been out of control ever since I met her. Really glad I could write you this letter. It's not what he does. He reminds them, and then he also does something. He calls someone else in. He says, hey, of those of you who know them, who have relationship with them, can you help them? 
and help them get back to serving well the body. So let me add this one thought, and this is where we're going to drive this practical. If you find yourself in disagreement and cannot approach that disagreement with grace that flows from the gospel, or if you cannot remember that you are walking together with other believers to heaven, then you're probably not ready to address the disagreement. If you can't have that mindset, then you're probably not ready to address that disagreement. Um, If you can't view the other person as someone loved by God, redeemed and made in his image, can I say that maybe this is a moment to pause, to reach out to somebody and say, hey, I don't want to share my disagreement. I I don't want to go into the details. That would be gossip, but but I'm struggling. I want my heart ready to have this. I've had this happen to me in this church. Um, Tyler, I'm going to use you. He's he's poked at me before and he goes, I don't think your heart's ready, Josh, for what's going to happen in the next hour. And I'm like, you're right. And it helps us to pause. I couldn't go in. I couldn't be ready. I couldn't go into that conversation. My heart wasn't ready to bring the grace of the gospel. That's our first point. Our second point is this. In our disagreement, reject selfishness. Do you see it in the passage there? He says, do nothing from selfishness. So how many things can we do from selfishness? Zero. Not even one. Here's what's interesting. At the heart of selfishness is personal glory and kingdom building. We talked about this last week. It's putting ourselves first, or here's what's trickier. It's willing to walk only so far until it gets hard, right? Until our rights have to be given up at the cost of someone else. Fighting selfishness starts with what we preach ourselves when no one is around. You hear that? A bad time to start to learn how to be unselfish is in the middle of conflict. A good time is when it's conflict-free. To remind us to put God in the center. Selfishness avoids, this is what, sorry, selflessness avoids unnecessary comparisons and one-upmanships. It doesn't do the, oh, you think that's bad? Let me tell you about blank. When we do this, we're pushing our view, our ideal, into the center and insisting that others look at it. And this tends to turn our posture to defensiveness. It becomes much more sensitive, even hypersensitive, about how others are robbing the attention that we believe we're wanting or taking away from the goals or aspirations that we're desperately trying to push in. That's at the heart of selfishness. It's great, it's easy to see with kids. Right, you can see that, right? It's actually pretty easy to see with adults, it's just more sophisticated. Certainly is in my case with my own heart. So in the middle of disagreement, selfishness has an agenda, but it's not God's. Do you see how this erodes unity? Paul immediately jumps on selfishness and says that can't be part of unity. God calls us to his kingdom And he puts himself at the center to pursue his glory. And here's what's interesting. If we're really honest about it, when we push our kingdom view into the middle, it gets a little more complicated than that because when we push something in the middle, something's got to be pushed out. And when, if we're honest, we also realize that the kingdom of God is pushed out. So we're pushing God out and we're putting ourselves in the middle. That makes us the king or the queen, doesn't it? And then... More importantly, what does that make those around us? They're subjects, aren't they? And a king wants glory and honor. 
And our king is not only just a king, he's also God, so he requires worship. We're accelerating this thought of selfishness, but when we push our kingdom in the middle, we push God out, we make other subjects, and we want them to then worship or align to our ideals. And here's what's interesting. Can you see how the gospel's now out of whack? We're the savior. We're driving our agenda of what kingdom building is. And if we're honest about it as Christians, maybe you're, maybe you're not a Christian here and you're going, that, that, that applies no matter what. But if you're a Christian, it also applies because we're, 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 we're placing ourselves in the middle and the gospel's not even there anymore. We're the savior. We're saying my ideal, my approach will be the one that, that saves us from what we're doing. And that's why Paul jumps on this and says, don't do it. The gospel must be in the center. And when we push ourselves into the center, that is selfishness. Maybe you're someone who's good. Good. I'm not a pusher, I'm a runner. I run away from conflict. I run away from disagreement. Am I safe? Nope, unfortunately. The reality is when we push our emotions there, so those who are avoiding it are really just putting their own emotions at the center, and that's just a hard part as well, that we push that in. Let's look at our next point real quick. In disagreement, we need to avoid pride and pursue humility. We touched on this a bit with selfishness, but here Paul uses the word, or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. So he's saying, as you disagree, we need to avoid this concept of empty conceit, and we need to cultivate humility of mind. Conceit is different than selfishness. Uh, Conceit takes it a bit further, and not only places our idea in the middle, but pushes others lower. Webster defines empty conceit as this, excessive appreciation of one's own worth or thoughts. I didn't like reading that either. That's a tough one. But let's talk about this in the positive. I want to talk about the concept of how do we cultivate humility. Humility is a proper view of ourselves. Humility also fosters the reality that we may not know and have all the answers for everything that is in front of us. Do we see how this fosters humility? Sorry, do you see how this fosters unity? Humility means that in disagreements, we may start with this. Help me understand. Let me hear you first. Humility is willing to do a lot of listening. Humility is willing to ask a lot of questions. Because it recognizes there may be things it doesn't understand. It's willing to be taught as part of the process of disagreement from the person they are disagreeing with. That's a cringe-worthy sentence. Yeah, I'm willing to be taught, but not from that person. Willingness to be taught as a part of the process of disagreement from the other person. You still may disagree, but at least the willingness to hear is an important part of unity. Humility recognizes that what is most needed is not ourselves, but it's actually more of God in the midst of that. Here's a side note. The FBI asks a lot of questions too of people while they're waterboarding them. (laughs) Those aren't the kind of questions that I'm asking for here. Those are a different set of questions. That's an interrogation. So if you're asking questions and the other person's feeling interrogated, that that is not the humility asking questions. That is a different set of questions. So just caution us on that. Humility is willing to listen first and speak second, if ever. 
deep theological term, we call that shutting your yapper and opening our ears. Humility and disagreement means that we may pause to allow our hearts and minds to digest and think through what we've heard from the other person or what they've said before we decide what we're gonna speak. Humility doesn't write the speech we're ready to deliver and doesn't think about the questions we should be asking. The Bible says that in disagreements, our hearts ought to be this, quick to hear, slow to speak. It says we ought to be gentle in speech and our speech ought to give grace to those who hear. Do you hear that? If you want some homework, let me second, let me get my timer back up here. If you want some homework, ask your spouse, your friends, that person that's hard to get along with, ask them if your speech has been that way. Ask them where it has been helpful. Ask them where it's hard. It's a good, humble exercise to ask and to be told and to be brought into that. James, James later in the Bible says, the words that come from pride are able to set fire and destroy. They don't promote peace. James goes even as far as to say where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there exists disorder in every evil thing. Jealousy follows in this as well. And I think there's a part of this where we're jealous because we want something that someone else has, maybe it's influence, and we're often willing to erode unity as a way of pursuing that. Here's a question. If you're someone who aspires leadership, learn humility. Learn humility because true leadership is willing to serve at great costs. It's willing to lay down so much comfort for others. And if we're reminded, Paul says at the end of the passage, he says, think about how Christ did this. He humbled himself to the point of being willing to die for others. That's a pretty high standard. And that's a good reminder to us. I wonder if our serving stops when we hit inconvenience. I know mine does at times. I'm willing to serve only so far until it hits inconvenience. God calls us to service this much deeper. I'm not trying to be overly critical on these things. I'm just trying to explain what I think Paul is doing here. So let's go to our last, our next point here. Paul says, in our disagreements, share our interests with each other and care for others' interests. And you see this here. Paul says, do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. He says two interesting things here. First, he doesn't say don't have interests. He says, do not merely look after your own interests but also for the interests of others. And I think there's a really interesting part here. He does not condemn our own personal interests. In fact, I would argue that good and healthy, it is good and healthy to know and to be able to articulate our interests to others. And here, let me explain it this way. When our interests align to God's principles, our personal interests, the things that matter to us, it displays the unique and wonderful design God has made us as individuals. And this is part of what's at the heart of diversity. We want to praise God for the diverse ways he's made us. And it also allows us to understand the ways that things hurt us 
And if we don't understand the interests of others or how they've gone about thinking about something, we're inevitably going to struggle with that. So at Story City, one of the things we encourage with our leaders is to know God well so that you can accurately know yourself and bring that uniqueness to the body. Do you see that? It's good to know what our interests are. Here's the other part that this does. Sharing our interests help us care for the body. We're called to care for one another and bear with each other's burdens. If we don't share what's on our heart or what we think, how can we care for each other? And so sometimes maybe the question of how are you doing, the answer fine is not the right answer. Because it's not the honest answer. Yeah, but Josh, I don't want to be a burden to someone. God says we are to care for each other's burdens. And so this call to unity starts with this. The idea of interest also, I believe, expands to our pasts and the things that shaped us. Before we go launching into disagreements, consider that the one thing, one of the things that you ought to be considering is where's that person coming from? Have I thought about where they've been? Where's their walk with God? Maybe this is very new. Maybe they have something that's made this very hard. How do I care for the things that have shaped them to this point and caring for those interests? You'll have to listen long and well. You'll have to pray and ask for balancing the concept of grace and truth. And you'll have to take genuine actions. He doesn't just say no it well. He says we ought to be caring for each other's interests. And so you may have to take genuine actions that shows that someone else's interest is something you are willing to care for and show love to. That means we have to get to know each other. That means we have to genuinely get to know each other and that's part of why we push community groups so much. Because that is where that happens. That's not going to happen here. I'm doing a lot of talking and you guys are doing a lot of staring at me. And that's not getting to know each other. That's why community group matters. And that's why it takes time. And that's why that disagreement that you want to maybe eventually speak into may require a great deal of listening and asking questions. Way before you get to, can I talk about some things that I might differ on that? Paul calls us to not only know the difference, but to look after the interests of others. This takes the step further and recognizes that we ought to be seeking ways to care for and help others move forward their interests. It means that we have to tread carefully where there's sensitivities that aren't our sensitivities. Right? Maybe that person that says, just, why can't they just get over it? Maybe. Or maybe we can tread carefully. Let me make this real for a second. Apply this to our church. I'm going to apply this both ways. To leaders and to those who are maybe in a position of following in our church. So maybe, maybe you're part of a community group. Or you're part of um, one of the ministries. Whether it's teens, children's, women's, men's ministry, breakfast, worship, creative group. And you have ideas and thoughts a point of view on how things ought to be done. Consider how you approach those leading and maybe start with an understanding. Help me understand what you are trying to accomplish. Help me understand why you've made those decisions. 
Help me understand what's important to the way in which you're doing this. And at that point, maybe you'll have more insights as to how your ideas either fit in or maybe how your ideas aren't the right ones at the moment. And we can pursue being able to support and help those who are pushing something forward. Or maybe you're a leader of a group and you never thought to ask, I wonder what those in my group are needing and feeling and wanting. And we can reverse that question. And we can ask the questions, help me understand how this helped you or how this didn't help you. How can I do this better? How can we do this better? That is beginning to cultivate this idea of pulling others' interest in. And if you're like me and you're sitting here and you're getting hives a little bit going, yeah, but what if it doesn't all mash up real nice? It's not. You're going to have to have humility to say thank you for your ideas. My uncle used to say to me, here's, here's my two cents. And if you collect it from enough people, you might have a nickel. And he goes, you need to still make the decision on that. And so I, I don't want to turn us into what we call hostage takers, right? Well, I've given you my thought. What are you going to do with it? And you'd better do something with it because I'm watching. Let's give our ideas, our thoughts, humbly, honestly, and allow people to then take that, combine it with other wisdom that they get and ultimately pursue God with that. Do you see how this helps us with our unity? Do you see why Paul was talking about this? He goes, you need to understand each other's interests and you need to do it humbly, patiently, kindly to accomplish this. I'm gonna commend something to you that I've done. I'm only commending it to you because somebody commended it to me. So this is a commendation pass along. I give myself homework every year. Um, two years ago, I gave myself homework. Um, and this is the, let me back up. The homework is this. Take a topic that you've got questions you're not quite understanding and let others pour into you and understand that topic better. So two years ago, I gave myself the homework of racial reconciliation within the church, but certainly without that. And the reason why is because I was hearing conversations that I said, man, I don't, I don't think I understand that. You may be surprised, but I've done all of my life as a, as a white guy. And that means I've got thoughts on things, but it also means I haven't experienced certain things. And the conversations I was hearing, something felt off. And I said, man, I, I, think, I, I think I needed to do some more listening. And, and I asked people, I said, what, what has been helpful? I started to listen, podcasts, books, articles. There's a number of things to help me humbly say, what is helpful in this? What's not helpful? And so for two years, I spent listening to others. This was the homework someone gave me or assigned to me and said, hey, maybe this is a good idea. And this year's homework, if you're in my community group, you hear about it all the time. It's on two things. One, it's on opioid addiction and it's on homosexuality. And so those are topics that I'm purposely choosing to understand in a way that I haven't in my own life. Not because I'm going to agree with everything that I'm reading, but because it allows me to understand so that I can then flow God's grace more carefully back into moments in our church. So here's the reality. We cannot sin when we advocate for our ideals. That's pretty obvious from Paul. So let me give you some really practical tips here. This is in the area of suggestions or ideas or things that I think are good. And you need to take them and kind of see what you think. 
Practical tip number one, build good arguments. Don't be lazy. Don't add all those exaggerations. You always do blank or you never do blank. Those aren't good arguments. Build good arguments. Those are thoughtful, reasoned, kind, honest arguments. When in doubt, think the best, not the worst. Recognize that everyone has a backstory. Don't allow the extremes or guilt by association dictate your view of someone else. Be able to articulate fairly the opposing view. I met someone who said, you should be able to explain their point of view better than they can, and they should feel appreciated because you could do that. You didn't agree. You're just simply going, here's what I know so-and-so believes about this. That requires listening. Consider if anything needs to be said at all. Remember to ask God for wisdom. Be willing to correct or allow your thinking to grow and then go back to the people, person, and let them know you've grown or changed and explain what has grown and changed in you. Consider the means of discussion. My personal preference is in person, typically is the best. If you're texting someone, posting vague thoughts, that's a little bit maybe of conflict avoidance going on. We hide behind those things sometimes. Have courage. Go out, humbly ask. It allows you to hear tone of voice, all these really important things. Consider how many times you go back and forth in a disagreement before you say, you know what? I think we just need to pause for five years maybe and get back to this topic. Remember to pray and invite God in. And Paul does one last thing, and this is our closing thought. In our disagreements, remember Christ's example. Paul says this here, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself on the cross, being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here we see Christ's goal for unity, that he wanted followers of Christ. He wanted people to follow God. That was his goal. He didn't want to win the arguments. He didn't want to win the culture wars of his time. He didn't address every untruth he encountered. Think about this. God, Jesus knew all truth, walked on earth, and did not walk around correcting everyone's untruth. He loved them. He did correct untruth at times, but he spent so many times humbly loving people. Think about that as Christ's example. I wish we could dive into more examples of how Jesus did this, but here's some more homework from you. Maybe read through the Gospels with the lens of saying, how does Christ's example with this individual help me think about the way I disagree or have unity? And here's my last part. Selfishly, I want you to make my joy complete by pursuing unity. And I also want your joy to be complete by pursuing unity. We want to disagree well. We do not want uniformity. We do want unity on the gospel. And that is where our heart wants to go with this. Does that make sense? Do you guys see it in here? All right. Sorry for all your box checkers. You're going to still have to rely on God, wisdom and faith to ask him how to navigate through this. But he's also given you the body. Don't gossip. Don't bring other ideas. Don't say, I've got a problem with so-and-so. Let me tell you about it. 
we can certainly go and say, I'm struggling with how to do this well. Can I get help with that? That's a good thing. So we're going to pray here in a second. But next week, Matt is going to take us into our last section on this, dealing with our consciences. So we've talked about unity in the gospel. We've talked about how to disagree and looked at this passage briefly. But then next week, Matt's going to look at the idea of conscience. How does our conscience, how does our personal convictions shape the way in which we pursue unity? And what happens when we get to this point where I'm going, I can't do that. And somebody says, I can. How does our conscience play a role in that? How does that support unity? So we're going to pray together. And I think there's more music stuff that's going to happen. Well, how would you describe it? It's music stuff. It's way more smooth when Matt's here. That is more true than you'll ever know. All right, let's pray. God, we just thank you for Paul's letter to a small starting church, culturally relevant area. And he asked them to remember the gospel and encourage them to look at their hearts as it comes to selfishness and pride, cultivate humility, a willingness to pursue and understand each other at a level that allows us to do life really well together. I pray that you bless our time today. Thank you for the mothers out there. In your name, amen.